We're talking about the comeback. Jesus tells one of the greatest comeback stories that's ever been told. We call it traditionally the prodigal son, but it's really a story about more than just the prodigal son. It's about the compassionate father and his two prodigal sons, basically. Uh, next week we're going to get to the elder brother. Uh, I believe that will be very insightful to you. Uh, Jesus teaches us here about the ways of the God that we don't really understand. And again, he's talking to the tax collectors and the sinners. Remember that? There's a God that Jesus wants to reveal to them that they don't understand. He's also talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. And even though they're very astute in the scriptures, they're very academic, they could probably quote, I mean, get this, the Pharisees could quote to you the law of Moses, which is the first five books of your Bible, and the prophets, and probably most of the Psalms. They could quote it to you. But yet, even in their study and even in all of their learning, they didn't understand the God who Jesus said really exists. And that's something that we can sometimes our traditions and our own concepts and mindsets can literally hinder us from seeing what we really need to see. So Jesus is coming to reveal the God that, that nobody really understands. That's one of the reasons he came. Today we're going to talk on message number three. We're going to talk about restoration. We're still dealing with this younger son and, and the whole idea of his life being restored. And we're going to get this boy restored this morning. Isn't that going to be good? <laughs> Their accusation against Jesus is this, that this man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. And Jesus responds with a story. He responds with this story that, that encompasses almost the whole of Luke chapter 15. Remember, it's, it's one story that has, what, three parts. We got it right there, three parts? Three parts. The, the first part was the shepherd and the lost sheep, right? And the shepherd does what? He leaves the 90 and 9 and goes after the one. The woman is in the house. She loses a coin. She sweeps the house thoroughly, looks all over the place until she finds the coin that was lost in the house. So we've got a sheep that's lost out there, and we've got a coin that's lost in the house. And Jesus takes these two parts of the story, brings them together, culminates it in this third part, which is this story of the prodigal son, or the prodigal sons, or the father and his two prodigal sons. All right? So Jesus is teaching us something here. Let, let's, let's, can you stand with me? We're going to read this entire story here. It's a little bit lengthy, but I, I can't cover all the details, so I'd just like to have the, the story heard in your ears when we come together. All right? Let's start in verse number 11. This is the, part of, of the third part of the story. Okay? Can you read with me? Then he said, Jesus said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, he's talking to himself now, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, 
His father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they had a big old party. Isn't that what it says? And they began to be merry. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Jesus, I, I pray that by your spirit you'd help us to, to grasp, grasp this truth, understand what you intended when you spoke these words. Help us, Lord. We came to hear. Put it in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, gang. So Jesus teaches us what sin looks like. He paints a pretty bad picture of sin. He's not soft on sin. He's full of love. He's full of grace, but he's not soft on sin. And here's why he's not soft on sin, because he knows that sin literally destroys lives. It destroys your future. It destroys your integrity. It destroys everything. It destroys the fabric of a nation. It destroys the fabric of a family. It'll destroy you. He, he paints the picture of sin being some of these things, maybe more. Selfishness is that you were willing to sacrifice your family, others, in order to get whatever you want. Sin will make you selfish, won't it? That's what's at the heart of it. Sin is a picture of a rebellious spirit choosing to defy the love and even the wisdom of his father. This boy rises up against his dad. He rises up against what's right. And he says, I want what I want, and I don't care how I get it. You give it to me, I'm done here. Sin has shown us as leaving the Father. It's about breaking the relationship. It's not just about breaking the rules. It's about breaking a relationship, an important relationship, the most important one. Leaving the one to go into a far country. And again, we said the far country was like Gentile world. That was, that's, that's like the whole other side of the tracks, so to speak. Sin is like being lost in a far country. You know, lost people don't do what they do just because they do what they do because they're lost. They really don't know what life's all about. They don't know what God's all about. They don't know what they're all about. They don't know what the future holds. So being lost is, is what sin, that's it's kind of the fruit of sin, isn't it? You end up lost. Hmm. And then being lost, he lost it all. That's a picture of sin. Sin will cause you to lose everything, including yourself. Here's an old saying I heard a gentleman say to me one time. And I just kind of took it to heart. He said this about the ugliness of sin. He said, sin will always take you where you never wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. You know that? You know how I know that? I just can look in the rearview mirror of my life and see some of that. All right. So how do you get back? That's what this story's about, how to get back. It's not just about the ugliness of sin, which that picture has to be painted to show us our condition. But how do you get back? Well, you know, he began to think about something. He, he began to ponder about the goodness of his father. He really did. He began to say, you know what? My father's a good man. I'm sitting here dying of hunger. But, you know, even the servants in my father's house are treated really good. So he began to think about the goodness of his father. And, you know, one of the prophets says this about the goodness of God, that it's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. It draws us to change our heart, to change our course to change our actions. It's the goodness of God. It's, it's not just the ugliness and the badness and the wrath of God that causes us to change. 
The prophet says it's the goodness of God that draws us in. And this boy begins to think about his father, and he gets drawn in. He said, I, I think I'm going to go back to daddy. And the Bible says he came to himself. That's an important time, isn't it? You begin to, to, to reconsider. That's, that's one of the first steps in repentance and coming back or returning. He began to think about where he was and what was going on. And then it says he arose. He arose. He began to get up and walk out what was going on inside of him. Now, these actions are important because they position you, but these actions alone cannot save a person. You can come, but you have to come and you have to throw yourself upon the mercy of your father. That's really what he does. He just throws it. You've heard the old saying that, that you come and throw yourself on the mercy of the court. You've heard that kind of saying before? Well, what does that mean? That, that means you're begging for forgiveness or leniency of what you've done. You know you're guilty, so you throw yourself on, not on judgment or truth, you throw yourself on mercy. And trust me, you want mercy. You want mercy. So he does that. He, he comes and he throws himself on the mercy of his father. And forgiveness, now listen to me. Forgiveness doesn't come by dealing with your sins. Forgiveness comes when you learn to deal with your Heavenly Father. And that's important because so many times we get into, well, if I can just get straightened out or if I can just stop this or if I can just not do this anymore, if I can just think different, if I can just get over here. And, and you try to deal with your own life. We've all probably done that. But forgiveness and restoration doesn't come like that. It comes by dealing with your Heavenly Father. And as you deal with your Heavenly Father, He deals with your sins. That's an important detail. Now back in Act, Act 1, the first part of the story. How did the sheep get back? Tell me. How did the sheep get back? The shepherd went and found him, and it says he put him on the shoulders and took him back home. Okay? All right, now this is obvious in Jesus' telling of the story. It's obvious that the younger son is the sheep, right? He's the sheep that's lost. So how is the younger son going to get back? And my mind raced to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. You may know this scripture right here. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now how is he going to get back? Again, the father puts him on his shoulders, just like the sheep, okay? Now, he doesn't physically pick him up and put him on his shoulders, but look at, look at the details that's given to us in the story. Jesus paints a picture here of, of how you get back. That it says that while the son was still a great way off. Now, when I hear that, I think he's still not right. He, he's got a heart to want to do better, to get his life straight, and the fact is he's hungry. And God uses desperation a lot of times to get us back where we need to go. But, it, but he's not back. He's still a great way off. He's still, he's still not thinking right. He still doesn't understand this thing right. He's still got a plan. Remember his plan? His plan is to make, a, make him a hired servant, right? His plan is to pay off all the money, pay the money back. Because he thinks the problem's the money. But the problem is he's broken the trust. He's broken the love. He's betrayed his father and his family. That's the problem. He thinks it's the money. The father knows it's the relationship. And the father's idea is if I can get my son back, I can get the money back. I'm not worried about that. So the father, while he was a great way off, he saw him. He had compassion on him. He ran out to him. He fell on his neck and he kissed him. 
Do you see him? And then he walked him back into the village. Picked him up, put him on his shoulders, and said, it's time to go home. You see the picture? It's a beautiful picture. How many can relate to that? <laughs> I tell this story. It's a Luke 15 story, but this is Ron's story too, for sure, no doubt. Now, remember the Kazaza ceremony. Remember that? I was going to fire up this corn and this, this little bit of stuff in here, but I didn't figure y'all would stay very long because it'd be pretty strong. It smelled pretty strong. Remember the Kazaza ceremony? The cutting off ceremony that if, if you lose your family's inheritance or you marry a Gentile person or whatever or, and come back home, that there is this ceremony that you, if you come to the village, they interview you, interrogate you, find out what you've been doing, why you lost it and all that kind of thing. And then they go through this Kazaza ceremony that has these burnt grains and nuts and all these kind of things. And if they deem you unworthy that you truly did do these things, then they take that jar, they burst it on the ground, boom, symbolizing you're done here. This relationship is broken forever. Now let me tell you something. If this young boy comes back on his own terms, this is what he's going to get. This is what he's going to get. If you try, if I try, if any of us try to come to God on our own terms, you know what you get? You don't get mercy, you get judgment. Just remember that. So that's what's in the background, this ceremony. And he, he, he can't come. So if he just decides to come back on his own, judgment probably, most likely, without mercy will happen. But instead, the father meets him and brings him back in, into the community, into the family. Now, again, he had the plan. Let's talk about forgiveness and confession real quick. He had a plan to become a hired servant, work it all off, make me a hired servant. That was one of the traditions. It's kind of one of the ways they did things. But his father didn't want to hear about his plan. Did you notice in the reading of the story that he had in his mind, he was running over, I, I'm, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants and I'll work the deal off. You remember he said that when he's talking to himself? Remember when he has the, the, the interaction with his father? He gets to the part that says, make me a hired servant. And guess what? The father does what? He interrupts him right there, doesn't he? He never gets that part out because, see, the father doesn't want to hear about your payback plan. The father doesn't want to hear that if you save me, Lord, I'll always, I'll give you all my money. I'll give you all my this. I'll, I'll go to church every Sunday. You know how we do. We make these deals. The father doesn't want to hear all that. Let me tell you what he wants to hear. What he wants to hear from any of us is just simply this. I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. You know, that's all the father wanted to hear from him. Daddy, I'm dead wrong. I sinned. And for all of us, we've got to stop the blaming. I did this because they, this person did this to me. Stop the excuses. Well, you know my upbringing. You know my background. You know my history. You know all of my experiences. And you know all the pain. Stop all the excuses. Stop the justification. Stop it all in its tracks. And just simply close your mouth. Stand there like a man. Stand there like a woman. And say, I did wrong. That's all he wanted to hear, wasn't it? And you know what? When he said that from a sincere heart, it triggered forgiveness and all the love that the father could muster. It triggered 
a, a, a flood of restoration that was coming his way. That's all that God wants to hear. All God wants you to do is be honest. All God wants you to do is come clean. And if you can't come clean to them, just come clean to him right now. He'll work all that other detail out. And it's interesting to me that the father wasn't interested in all the details. How'd you lose the ring? How'd you lose your money? How'd you lose? Why did you go over there? What's going on? Where is it all? Where did you go? What did you do? Who'd you do it with? How many times did you do it? You know, the father didn't want to ask any of those details. And I found out in dealing with people in my own life that, you know, the people want the details. They want the mud so they can sling it. They want the scoop so they can bury you under it. I do know that much. <laughs> if you don't believe me, read Facebook. It's all right. Never mind. Just go. <laughs> all the Father wanted to hear from him. All he wants to hear from us. I sinned. I sinned. Now, the gospel teaches us. This story teaches us. Your badness doesn't have to keep you out. Now, I don't, I don't know if there's any way for us to get the idea of, of the, how horrific this picture would be to the people that were hearing it the first time. It would be unthinkable. It would be absolutely hor horrendous for them to hear of such a story out of such a young man would do this to his family and to his community. It would be, it'd be horrendous. And Jesus is saying that I want to let all the tax collectors and sinners and all of us Everybody know that your badness, I don't care how bad it is, your badness doesn't have to keep you out. <laughs> That's good news, isn't it? Your badness does not have to keep you out. The other flip of the coin is this, to all the self-righteous folks who are trying to keep all the rules, that your goodness can't get you in. See, that's the other side of it. Your badness doesn't have to keep you out, but your goodness brothers and sisters, can't keep you in. It's simply the Father has to see you, has to forgive you, and He brings you back. That's the good news. And the really good news is He's ready and willing. He's sitting on the front porch looking. <laughs> That's the good news. All right, the love of Christ does two things to us. The gospel does two things to us. They're equal and opposite things. And, and, it's, and it's really strange sometimes when you think about it because the gospel comes into a person's life just like it came into this younger son's life. It comes and it humbles us. I mean, if, you, if you've ever really been loved, I mean loved through a mess and, and forgiven when you were dead to right wrong. How'd you get that? Dead to right wrong. How about that? <laughs> when you were caught dead to right. And somebody loves you unconditionally, it humbles you. I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not. I have. I don't know if you've ever experienced it or not, but somebody to truly forgive you for something that you did wrong that was not right at all. It, it, it literally takes the breath out of you. I mean, it, it, it makes a big old boy like me cry. Because love has a way of humbling you. And this boy, is, he's, he's defenseless at this point. He has received undeserved, unexpected love. And the love of his father exposes his unworthiness. It exposes his sin. Because when you stand in, in, the, in the shadow of goodness, all you think about is your badness. I mean, you look at everybody in the Bible that's had an encounter with God. I'm talking about one of them seeing God things. 
You look at everybody in the Bible, what do they do? They fall on their face as if they were dead. <laughs> because in, in the presence of pure love, you feel the fact that you're not all that. So the gospel humbles us. It's got a way of doing that. True love will break you down. It'll bring you to your knees. That's why mom and daddy don't ever give up. Love will win the day. Now by its faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these, what does it say? It's love, isn't it? It humbles us. You know you don't deserve it. You know you can't fix it. And then love steps in and rescues you out of it. And it humbles us in such a way because true forgiveness can only be received through a humble heart. As long as you keep justifying it, say it's pride. The gospel comes. Love comes. Christ comes. And he humbles us. Well, the opposite thing happens as well. As he humbles us, Something, a miracle happens. And at the same time, I'm humbled, but the other side of it is I'm exalted. I mean, one side of it is I know I'm a sinner and I'm nothing. In fact, Paul says it like this He says, I'm the chief of sinners. Doesn't he say that? I mean, he said that at the end of his life. But in another place, he says this I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So the gospel does both of those things, it, it makes you understand that you are the chief of sinners. But it also makes you understand that you're the righteousness of God. So it brings you down here. So there's no room for pride. There's no room for boasting. But it exalts you right here so you don't have to hang your head anymore. You don't have to walk around in shame. It exalts you. Now, let's spend the rest of our time together looking at this exaltation that the father does for this young boy. Now, again, does he deserve all this? Now, he really deserves 50 lashes with a wet noodle, doesn't he? <laughs> at least, at least that much. Now, the love of God exalts us. It reveals, so it humbles us and reveals my unworthiness, but it also reveals my worthiness. It reveals my destiny. And forgiveness, see, coming into the village and, and the kiss of forgiveness right there that he, he did to this boy. That kiss was the forgiveness. It was the starting point of salvation. Or let me say it like this. It was the starting point of restoration. And, and the idea of salvation and restoration is about God coming into your life in such a way that he brings you not just to the forgiveness of sins, but to the wholeness of what he intended when he created you. Bringing you into wholeness. And we're all on that journey, I hope. We're, 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 we're wanting God, we, we know there's still things wrong with us, but we walk with God because he is bringing salvation and restoration into our lives continually. Let's look at the robe, the ring, the sandals, and the fatted calf. Did you see that in the story as we read through it? The robe. The father says this, interrupts this boy's speech. He's there standing before the village. He's standing before his family. He's standing before his daddy. And the father says this, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Everybody say best robe. Best robe. Not, not just the bathrobe, the best robe. Best robe. The best robe. Bring it out, the best robe. Don't, don't just bring anything out of the closet. Don't just go get some clothes. I want you to go find the finest thing I have and bring it and put it on my son. Now, what in the world? His best. I mean, that just kind of really jumps out at me. The father's best standing there for the son's worst. You see it? 
I mean, there's no line in the story that says that he gave him three days of bathing. There's no line that says he smelt right. Where's he been working? We know where he's been working. And if you've ever been hanging around hogs, guess what you're going to smell like? You're going to smell like a hog. I, I, had a, I got a buddy in Georgia who's got a hog farm. I, I know all about that. <laughs> I went there to slop a few hogs with in a few days. I'm done. That's enough. <laughs> they did it for a living. His best for my worst. What a trade. What a trade. And, and notice the robe was put on top of the son's filthiness. Do you see the picture? Do you see what Jesus is painting right here? The robe was put on top of the son's dirtiness, his filthiness. And he's just simply saying, Jesus said, if you come back to the Father, he's got you covered. He'll cover your sin. He'll cover your guilt. He'll cover your wrong. He'll cover your shame. He'll pay your debt. He'll cover you. The picture that the prophet Isaiah paints for us is one called the robe of righteousness. You know what the Father did in those moments? Jesus is telling us that what happened in our lives is that in, in a moment of time, you go from being wrong to now you're right. That's a miracle. That's a miracle in a moment of time. Hmm. Look, look at what Isaiah 61.10 says. It says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why is he so happy? For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. Oh, that, that kind of sounds like what happened. And he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Now take all the, all the suffixes off of righteousness. And what do you come up with? Right. Right? Right. Right. You got the word right. Okay? He was made right. What, what's that robe? It covers all his wrongs. And in one swoop of forgiveness... In one swoop of the Father's righteousness, he's covered. Hmm. That's good news. That's good news. We, we could talk a lot about that. Let, let, now, let me ask you this. Now, he, he will attend the party in the best robe. Not going to be another one there like it. It's the best one. He'll go about his life from now on in the best robe. Question. Should he wear it? You know them ladies down at the store, what they going to say? Them brothers over there, what they, what they going to think about that? Should he wear it? Should he wear it? I mean, I'm asking you. Should this boy wear that robe? Yes, he should wear that robe. Does he deserve it? Guess, guess who knows that better than anybody? He does. See, that's where the humbling comes. And we've got to learn to walk with a humble heart in an exalted position. It's the only way to live in this kingdom. You got that? Help, help us, Lord. Good Lord, have mercy. I'm so full today. Mm. I got to talk about the ring. Put a ring on his hand. Put a ring on it. Mind you, this is his second ring. What happened to the first one? Well, it's at a pawn shop over there in the far country. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It got so bad, or he lost it in the pig. He lost it. He gave it away, probably. Sold it. Liquidated it, probably. Got so tough, he had to liquidate things. This is his second ring. See, this is restoration. 
Back in those days, they used signet rings, family signet rings to do business with. You know, didn't have checks and things like that, like what we have today, or, or telephones and digital stuff and banking and all that kind of stuff. What they had were family signet rings. You see some examples right there. And they would go and they would take it on a wax seal or whatever, and they would put it on their bill, and they would take that signet ring, and they would press it into the wax, and that would say, hey, that belongs to the Laney family. That, that's theirs. They owe this money to, to the merchant or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? So here, here's the family signet ring. It, it, it has to do with identity. See, what was his condition, according to Jesus' words, my son who was lost is now found. He was lost out there. One of the things he lost was his identity. He lost him. He lost himself. He lost who he was. He lost the whole roots. and He, he just kind of became a branch out there by himself. And everybody knows a branch cut from the tree is not going to last very long. This is the point of identity. The ring is a point of identity. The father says right now to this boy, he says, you belong in this family. The Lord Jesus would say to us, you belong in this kingdom. And you say, but, but, but I, you belong in this kingdom. You, you, you belong in this kingdom. And every time he doubts, every time he questions, every time those bad memories come back flooding into him and those, those nightmares come back of everything that happened in that far country, he can look at his ring. And be reminded that he belongs. Personally, it's not testimony time for me, but personally, that's why I wear this ring on this hand. Wasn't too long ago, I went into the far country. The Lord brought me back. This ring symbolizes it. December 23rd. It's got written inside of it. December 23rd, he brought me back. And the words he gave me, this is what he spoke to my spirit. You receive it or not. He spoke to my spirit and he said, don't let anybody take your ring. I gave it to you. It's my second ring. I, don't, I, don't, I ain't glad I lost my first one. But you better know I love the second one. <laughs> so every morning when I get up, for me, the very first thing I put on is this. This is my commitment to God. My second ring. I put this one on. I can't get it off now. <laughs> I put this one on. This is my commitment to that lady right there. And I'm reminded. I belong. <laughs> ah. It's an identity. It's authority. The father has now delegated authority to him. Now he can go and do what he needs to do. In the father's name. He's got a new ring. Should he wear it? This boy's starting to get a little decked out here, isn't he? <laughs> All of a sudden, he goes from stinking and nasty and dirty to he's got the best threads in town. That's a Memphis word, threads. Y'all know what threads are, right? <laughs> he's, got the, he's got the best suit in town, and he's got a new ring. Hmm. What, what, what else is, there's some, there's some more that's going to happen to his restoration. So in a moment, he restores his righteousness, his rightness. He restores his identity and authority. And then he says, and go get the sandals. Put the sandals on his feet. Now this boy obviously came back home barefooted. 
Sandals in those days signified sonship, being part of the family or belonging again, this acceptance into the family because slaves were the ones that went barefooted. And he said, no, 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 no. This, this the boy's not a slave. Wait, 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 wait. Let's get this straight right now. He's not a slave. He's not a hired servant. He's not a contract worker. He's not my employee. This is my son. This is my son. He belongs to me. This is my son. And, and that's important because, see, you're, you're not God's servant. See, servants serve, but they can never be sons. But sons serve, but they're sons and they're daughters. Does that make sense to you? Did you get that? And I, I've, I've settled this in my heart. I might be a good or I might be a bad one, but every day I wake up. I'm a son. I got that settled in my heart. You know that? Get it settled in your heart. And ladies, don't, don't get bothered by that word son. It's not just, just male-oriented in, in the kingdom. It's the idea of you're in line for your, the inheritance. That's what that means. That's all of us, men and women. When you say that word son, don't, don't, don't think, you know, don't just think man. That's, that's all of us. We're in line. We're, we're, we're a child. Maybe that's maybe a better word for us in today's terms. But I hate to extract the word son because you're not going to understand a lot of the Bible if you, if you pull that out of it. Okay? So God restores us to our rightful position as sons and daughters of the king. Amen? Should he wear them? Should you just go around barefooted because you still don't feel good about yourself? No, put your shoes on, girl. Go have a walk. <laughs> I mean, walk humbly. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Walk humbly. But hold your head up high. Wear your robe. Wear your ring. Wear your shoes. Do your business. And know your father loves you. And then the fatted calf. He said, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. They basically threw a big old party. And Jesus paints the picture of a fatted calf. Now, Bubba, you know, if we're going to have... If you're going to have Sandy and I over at the house, you're not going to probably cook a calf, are you? That's a whole lot of barbecue, isn't it? That would be a whole lot of barbecue. So what's Jesus saying? See, this wasn't just a under-the-table kind of thing, son slipping the back door thing. Uh, you know, I know you've been messed up a long time. And nobody really knows what's going on here. Uh, the father says, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not ashamed of you. I don't like what you did. I don't like where you've been. I don't like what you cost us. But I'm not bringing you in the back door. I'm going to bring you in the front door. And I'm going to kill the best calf I've got. We've been fattening this thing up, waiting on you to come home. And the big fatted calf party, that's a big barbecue, by the way. That's all that is. It's a big old Texas barbecue. Alabama barbecue. I should say Memphis barbecue, shouldn't I, Paul? <laughs> it's a big old barbecue. And, and who is he going to invite to this barbecue? This party, everybody's invited because you know what? Jesus wants everybody excited about the one who came back. And don't stand over in the corner and be critical of whoever come back. Don't stand over in the corner whispering about what you think they did or didn't do. Jesus said, no, get you a plate and some baked beans and enjoy the party. This boy's back home. You understand what I'm talking about? And he throws a party for everybody because he wants to make the announcement to the entire community. I know what was in y'all's heart. Jesus would say to the Pharisees, 
Y'all wanted to cut him off for good. And some of you would have cut his neck if you could have. Let me ask you this. Should he show up to the party? Because this is about where it's all about to go down now. You know that. Understand that? Because he's, he's, he's with his family and his daddy. Everybody but the older son. They're all happy he's home. But now when he gets out into the community, it's a whole different ballgame. Isn't it? It gets, it gets real now. Should he wear his robe? Should he wear his robe to the party? Or should he tone it down a little bit? Should he wear his ring? Put them good shoes on too, son. Come on. He should. Now he should wear it with a humble heart. Not flaunting anything. This is all a gift. He didn't earn none of this. In fact, just the opposite. You see what I'm talking about? This is restoration. A couple thoughts and we're done. Forgiveness, the robe, the ring, the sandals, the party. He should wear it all. Let me ask you this. You going to wear yours? I mean, get your heart right now. Make sure you understand you didn't earn none of this. And you certainly don't. I don't care how long you had it. You don't, still don't deserve it. But you're going to wear it. I mean, are you going to come to your father like he's made you right? Are you going to go about doing business like you have authority in Jesus' name? When you pray for the sick, are you going to pray like you have authority? Like that ring does work. That ring does matter. When you minister to somebody, are you going to, you know? Hmm. See, this is restoration. Part of my question is this. Everything changed in one day. And if you came to Christ, everything changed on that one day for you too. But why? Why though? Why does it take a lifetime for us to accept it? You know what I'm talking about? I'm serious. We struggle with accepting all this. True humility accepts the unexpected, undeserved love. It accepts the grace of God and the restoration and it lives in it. Amen. This is a beautiful picture of restoration. Now he's not going to walk around with his ring saying, look, I got my ring. You better straighten up and not mess with me. See, that's, 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 you done lost it there, you know. But he's going to wear it with a humble heart. Knowing that his father loves him. That's the foundation of all we are. Daddy loves me enough to put me back where he always wanted me to be. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful story. Somehow or another, this story leaps off the pages of Scripture and looks me in the face and looks like my mirror. Looks like our mirror. We see so much of your goodness in our lives. Lord, I pray you'd help us. Holy Spirit, help us. We tend to seem to live way beneath what you're proclaiming right here, Jesus. Or else we get in pride and end up losing the plot. We need you to help us.